Welcome to your High Vibration Life podcast with Robin Openshaw, also known online as the Green Smoothie Girl. When you're living your high vibration life, you're healthier in every way. You're more productive, creative, peaceful, and loving. Your high vibration life is calling. And now your host, Robin Openshaw. Hi, everyone. It's Robin Openshaw, and I'm so glad you're back with me today for your high vibration life. I have a friend I want to introduce you to today, and she's going to talk about some interesting mathematical but applied uh, applications of living high vibration. We're going to get into some of the mysteries of the energetic world. Terry Cochran is a graduate of the University of Florida and Huntington College. She's an integrative practitioner, and she's an international thought leader in functional epigenetic nutrition. She's developed the Cochrane Method. She integrates muscle testing, which I assume we're talking kinesiology here, biophysics, and nutrigenomic evaluations to help develop an individualized plan for clients. She works with thyroid conditions, endocrine disorders, and viral illnesses, and she connects nutrition and imbalances in the body. So welcome, Terry Cochrane. Thank you so much, Robin. So glad to be with you. Me too. It's been a long time in coming because I had this fascinating conversation with you about the Fibonacci sequence. And so we're going to get into that. But first, let's begin at the beginning. How did you get into this line of work and studying energetics? Well, you know, as life is never random and there is an order and disorder, I actually had a 20-year corporate career doing real estate, finance, and strategic thinking and risk management Uh, But when my son was born, by the age of three, we were told to prepare for brain seizures and a life of dis-ease. He was constantly in the hospital. He was not talking. He was not walking at the age of three. He had the bone density of a 19-month-old. And we live in the metro D.C. area, so we can avail ourselves of many wonderful uh, doctors, yet he was a mystery And so because I'm a Cuban refugee and we are in, we live in the world of the solution rather than being a victim, I decided that I was going to find a solution for my son because I was not accepting the fate that had been cast upon him and that which therefore creates an energetic vibration of how he was going to spend the rest of his life. And so as I dove into um, how and why this was happening to his body, I literally had an epiphany on my kitchen table with books piled higher than I could see, it was, oh my goodness, it's what we're feeding him. And this was before the age of the internet, um, before the age of Google. And I just went to town researching and interviewing parents, interviewing doctors, and I connected the dots. And it was the fact that we were feeding him what were poisons to him. And within five days of eliminating certain foods, he started breathing and then he started walking and talking. And so for several years, I continued to study as I had my day job at Freddie Mac. And uh, one day uh, as I was meditating on the beach and I had done very well at Freddie Mac, I I led a department um, uh, with five functional areas and I had broken glass ceilings there in their multifamily division. And I was told, go quit your job which didn't make any financial sense, didn't make any logical sense, but a guy, a higher guidance was gently ushering me to move into a new direction. And so I listened and I went back and I gave my notice. 
And so now we fast forward. My son is 23 years old. He was um, a junior Olympic gold medalist uh, in karate, um, multi uh, faceted. He's a musician. He's a singer. He was a scholar at one of our public ivies and he just graduated. And all of those things that we were told he would never be, he has uh, defied what they said he would never be. On my feet, standing O, so exciting, chills down my spine. I love it. And, you know, you and I are, are new friends. And um, you may not know that my beginnings came from when my oldest son was failure to thrive below the fifth percentile, in and out of hospitals, life-threatening asthma, constant steroids, bronchodilators, antibiotics, and changed his diet like you refer to with your your older child and went on to be MVP at the state playoffs as a six foot three baseball player. And the reason I want to connect those dots is that I have done this with my listeners many times. And that is to harken back to grad school when I was studying to be a healer. And I was exposed to the wounded healer theory. And we have seen this with many of our interviews that someone's passion that led to a career that led to a love of helping others into high vibrations started with devastation and terrible health consequences for you or someone that you you cared for. And the wounded healer theory is that the best healers are those who have been deep in sorrow and illness and their triumph, their overcoming has led them to a career of brilliance in helping others to high vibrations. How do you feel about that? Well, now I'm getting goosebumps because you basically, when you told me about your son, that's the preface of my book, my upcoming book. I mean, they have literally uh, led uh, parallel lives, Robin. So yes, absolutely. And by the way, my son is 23. (laughs) Oh. (laughs) Oh my gosh. That is just a beautiful thing because again, there are no coincidences. And I do believe in that. I believe that my son and then my daughter were my greatest teachers uh, and they guided me. And, you know, the wounded healer, because as parents, we the worst thing that you can tell us is there's something wrong with our children. Because we will we will go to the mat and we will be a mama tiger and we will do anything to save them. Right. Absolutely. That's the thing. And you're, when I was told this, I said, no way. My daughter, uh, several years later, after I got my son better, botched wisdom tooth extraction, septic to the brain, almost died uh, 12 hours. Had I waited and um, said what the doctors or done what the doctors had uh, said to do, which is wait until the morning to, for her to be seen, she would have died. Um, it was one of those mother's instincts. And I drove her to UVA hospital because we were on vacation and they told me she had 12 hours had we waited. So, um, so what you learned, so what you learned with your son may have later saved your daughter. Absolutely. And with my daughter, actually, this is when I really got into vibrational resonance because the, the life, the life threatening sepsis, the medicine that saved her life clindamycin created C. diff. And then she was, she's a pre-professional ballerina, was poisoned at a ballet conservatory nine months later and almost died from liver shock. And after that, all of her genes were expressed. And I took her to the best practitioners this time all over the country because she became super, super endocrine disrupted. She was passing out. Her, her body temperature was 95. She started losing her hair. She stopped mensing. She was her, her insulin were in double digits, close to triple digits. She was 
a mess. And it led me down to the world and the road of how certain trauma to the body expresses genes. And we use now applied kinesiology, which is all vibration to discern not only what the individual's genes polymorphisms are, but have they been expressed? So very cool. So I live in the world of vibration on a daily basis with my clients using my method through applied kinesiology to discern what's going on. Well, I have seen your gorgeous dancer daughter on Facebook and been watching her. I've even seen some little videos of her dancing. She is astonishingly talented. You're doing a great job. Aren't you a single mom? Yes, I am. Yeah. I mean, against great odds with great challenges, um, we can we can do amazing things and we can empower families and we could turn around scary things. C. diff is no joke, right? Yes. No, exactly. So kinesiology... Uh, that is energy medicine at its finest. That's when we start with diagnostics and lots of people are scornful of it, especially standard of care medicine. But you know, you can get a, you can get it actually a, an advanced degree in applied kinesiology. Uh, talk about kinesiology. What is it doing? What, what, how is it useful to you as a practitioner and, and just define it, it. it? I love it because it gets us to the nuance of that individual. And we, we have, we have, talk about applied kinesiology is the MRI in the wild because we're using the electric magnetic signature and the vibrational resonance of let's say a staph aurelius which is contained within a water particle that emits an electromagnetic frequency as we emit an electromagnetic frequency and so when I ask my clients to hold that vial in their hand and I touch them in two different places, I am creating a circuit. If that circuit is out of alignment in of vibration with that individual, the circuit breaks and they have no muscle tone. And I work with professional athletes. I'm a small woman. I weigh less than 120 pounds that they could throw me with their pinky. And it's like they're kryptonite because it literally breaks the circuit and they have no muscle strength. And I've, I've developed my own methodology of applied kinesiology because the standard methodology is you look at one meridian. Well, I decided to ask the body to tell me what was going on. So I look at different organ systems and compare them to that specific uh, whatever, because for example, we know that viruses like to hide and the Epstein-Barr favors the thyroid, but sometimes it's found in the cervical spine or sometimes it's found in the pancreas. And if I just checked in one location, I may miss that for that client. And so developing my own methodology really gets to what we call the true of you is what is their truth in real time? What is that body telling us in real time? And then we use my other methodology to develop this bio-individual plan, which is supplemental as well as nutritional to rebalance the imbalance. Okay. So if you're listening and you're hearing applied kinesiology and it doesn't mean anything to you, you have probably seen, um, people in the functional world, the, the, you know, natural holistic medicine world use muscle testing. She's talking about the science of, of, well, you, you know, the lay term for it is muscle testing. And although a lot of people kind of roll their eyes at it, it's becoming so clear that the body's signals can tell a practitioner something that doesn't involve putting them in a tube and radiating them. And so I love that the MRI in the wild. And, um, you know, the first time I was exposed to it is I, I was at some like trade show and I was walking around and a, and a chiropractor 
had me get my cell phone out of my energy field. This is like 2008. So we're literally talking 10 years ago. And he had me hold my arm up and, uh, and he pressed on my, he said, hold your arm strong and I'm going to apply some pressure. And he pressed on my arm and I did not, my arm did not collapse at all. And then he said, now get your cell phone. And then I held my cell phone in the other hand, held my arm strong, just like before. And he applied the same amount of pressure and my arm collapsed. Like it collapsed against my side. And that was my aha moment. I kind of gasped. And I was like, what just happened there? It was a blind test in that I didn't know what he was doing. So it's not like I could have, you know, created that. And, you know, you could argue that he pressed harder the second time. But I I have played with this so many times. In fact, Chad's here. He does our film and he does our podcast and he's he's listening here by me. And I had his wife come and I said, don't, don't tell her anything what we're doing. I didn't even tell him what we were doing. And I had her do the same. And I, uh, she was holding their little baby, Oliver. I think he was maybe six months at the time. And, and so I took her cell phone out of the room and I muscle tested her. And then I handed the cell phone to her and, and she was strong without it. And I brought it in the room and put it in her other hand, which she was holding Oliver in. And her arm was very weak against the same the pressure. You've seen this Uh, be super valuable to you to help you understand if a substance, a supplement, a food, um, a thought is helpful or harmful to a person? Is that the idea? Tell us more. Absolutely. And what's so incredible is we have a lot of our clients go out and do genetic analysis. And 23andMe is a big, a big part of that. And we we do, we can corroborate that analysis through our own internal analyses. Um, And what we have found to a person the muscle testing corroborates the 23andMe polymorphisms. But the muscle testing goes one step further because we say that genes are just potential. They're not your destiny. Just because you have the gene doesn't mean it's been expressed. And so what we find is through the muscle testing is that it tells us if that gene has is currently expressed against the person's favor. And so it really helps to get a nuanced approach. And so, for example, the reason why I love this muscle testing and the, the way that I've adapted it in, in, in the practice is that, for example, let's say somebody is impaired in their uh, ability to create digestive enzymes. So clearly that person, you would think a, a practitioner would say, well, you need digestive enzymes. But then we, we actually test the supplement against the body and if the body is not ready. So for example, if the body has a significant irritation in the lower colon, even though digestive enzymes are indicated from a pancreatic perspective, that body is not ready to receive that digestive enzyme because digestive enzymes by their nature break things down and their digestive lining is already too broken down. So not yet, not now, we have to build that digestive lining up and then use the digestive enzymes when that person is ready. And so it really helps us to get to that nuance. What is best for you now? Okay, this is fascinating because we back up just a second. I want to make clear what Terry is saying here is that her muscle testing or applied kinesiology corresponded one to one with what she finds in a patient with 23andMe genetic testing. Now, 23andMe genetic testing is pretty hard coded. It's, it's highly legitimized. It's telling you what your genetic expression is, what your, um, mutations might be, what, what genetic factors you have that might put you at risk for different things. And so what she's saying here, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, is that muscle testing and 23andMe are highly synchronous. You find that they work really well together and that based on that, you can, you can find that something we might think is good for everyone. Like let's say a really natural organic herb. It's not that 
through muscle testing, you discover that that's a bad herb. It's that you find out that it's good or bad at that time for that patient, right? That is exactly right. Okay. So that's really interesting because I want to go sideways here about the 23andMe genetic testing. It's just blowing up right now. Everybody wants to get their 23andMe done. They're not the only company delivering these kinds of results, but they are probably the biggest one out there. There's so much buzz about it. You know, there's there's these uh, genetic mutations or genetic markers that everybody is quite preoccupied with these days, like the MTHFR and everybody's, you know, building all these uh, treatments around, you know, whether you can methylate B vitamins and what this means for your ability to detoxify. Uh, You know, what's interesting about it is that over 90% of people have a 25% or 50% or 75% MTHFR. So really like most of us have an issue with this. Um, I, I just want people to put this in context and I'm going to ask Terry to help put it in context. Let me give you another example, Terry, is that one of our, um, colleagues, uh, no longer with us, um, went through a lot of cancer treatment and went through multiple rounds of chemotherapy and radiation because she had the BRCA1 gene and she believed that there was nothing that holistic medicine could offer her because she had the BRCA1. That's the Angelina Jolie um, mutation. About 60% of women who have it end up eventually at some point, they could be 80 or 110, uh, over 60% of them eventually get breast cancer, ovarian cancer. And her conclusion was, there's nothing I can do in the world of holistic or functional medicine because I have this gene. Will you speak to that? Oh, absolutely. Well, back to our mantra of genes are just potential. They do not have to be our destiny. And genes, much like a light switch, can be turned on and off. And so the cornerstone and the foundation of the way that I practice functional nutrition and um, integrative health is that we figure out one, if the gene has been expressed, and two, what expressed it, and three, how to de-express it. So say, for example, um, I have a a wonderful story. The the root of my whole discovery around amyloids, which are misfolded proteins, was that I was dealing with a gentleman who had amyloidosis. Amyloids are truncated proteins. And in his case, the amyloid had turned to cancer and that had it was around these truncated proteins were around his heart. And two rounds of chemo had put him into congestive heart and kidney failure. He came to me in an oxygen with an oxygen tank in a wheelchair and they had given him his last rites. As I researched what amyloids were, because this is a rare thing, I started making the connection of, oh my goodness, there are certain foods in our food supply that actually feed the production of amyloids. There are certain pathogens such as strep and candida and staph and um, even parasites that feed the production of pathogens. So what we did was, and then we muscle tested him and found out that this individual had the a down regulation of the cytochrome P450 family of genes, meaning he was not a good detoxifier. He had impaired methylation, meaning that he did not have the methyl donors necessary to break down protein or make hydrochloric acid, which is necessary to, to kill the pathogens. And he had impaired sulfur processing mechanism, which is another huge detoxification pathway. And in that, with that impaired sulfur processing, you calcify. So what we did is we created a bioindividualized plan 
that stopped feeding the amyloid formation, therefore the wildatarian uh, meats, because we know that they, they tend to have less amyloids. We stopped feeding him the pea protein that he was being given every day because pea is a mycotoxin, which we now know, I call them a fire starter, that can elicit um, mycotoxins, which then feed the strep and candida and so forth. And we stopped feeding him very healthy foods like sulfur, and which is the kale and the broccoli. And in doing that, we were able to turn off the genes that had been turned on. And within three months, his light chains, which were what is a, is a cancer marker, were almost down to normal. He then was able to start restart the chemo at a much in a much stronger place. And he now, almost four years later, is cancer free. Wow. And so this is an important point because with all this genetic testing and food sensitivity testing, I, I think that people who are young in their journey think that when they find that out, oh, broccoli is bad for you. And they kind of tell people that and it gets spread around on the internet. Can he digest those really powerful healing foods now? Like, can you can you move past those issues? Yeah, absolutely. And so what we, we say is you have a respectful relationship with those foods because that's the whole part of nutrition called nutrigenomics, which how certain foods can express genes. But one of my hashtags is hashtag heal and seal and you can eat rocks. So if you have enough integrity in your gut biome, then those foods that are less than great for us can still be part of the bounty of our nutritional repertoire. We're just not going to eat them every day and we're not going to eat them in a juice, which is, you know, straight to the system. We're just going to we're going to dance respectfully with them. But it doesn't mean that we have to always and forever say goodbye. It's just in, in his case, it was not not then for him because it was expressing a a gene that was stopping a detoxification pathway and supporting the calcification, which then created the buildup of the amyloids, which have a, a protein structure and then a biofilm. So yes, I have a sulfur processing mechanism issue and I eat sulfur foods. Now, do I eat them every day, all day and in my green juice? No, but do I enjoy them? Absolutely. Well, you've said a lot there. Um, and I think if I essentialize this here, would you say that genetics are important and being able to discover more about our own issues in our genetics uh, or our, our, I should say our genome actually um, are a great clue that leads to great individualized treatment if you're working with a really good functional practitioner with you, but they're not the whole story? Exactly. It's just one other piece of information and how that piece of information is playing relative to their current state of health. Okay, you talked about amyloids and and how they are folded proteins or truncated proteins. Can you talk just a minute about that? And what does that have to do with the regular person listening? And, and how'd you get to the bottom of that? And does this affect most of us? Well, this is really fascinating. And I'm really excited to be sharing this, um, what I believe is groundbreaking information. And my, my client Zero uh, with this amyloidosis really started me down this path of really understanding what amyloids are. And I have on my staff, um, she's a genetics researcher that used to work at the National Institutes of Health. And she's my scientist, my in-house scientist, and I'm always seeking her out on go find the, the uh, medical literature that's out there based on the um, clinical bridges that I've sort of put in my mind together through just our, my own client uh, understanding. And so she goes out and finds the, the literature that supports my theses. Um, but what we're finding is that amyloids are now 
contributing to over 50 of our major health conditions in our country, including Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, kidney disease, type 1 diabetes, autoimmune conditions, and the list goes on and on. And so the reason why this is so critical is that we have become what I believe a protein malabsorbed society. And so proteins are one of our macronutrients. They are the essential building blocks for our tendons, our ligaments, our hormones. And so when we take in a protein, let's say a protein of a really happy cow, ideally what our body would do is we would use our digestive enzymes and our hydrochloric acid to unpack those proteins into amino acids, which are the building blocks. And then those amino acids go through our intestinal barrier and then the body repacks those amino acids forming new proteins to do what our bodies need to make those hormones and tendons and ligaments and so forth. But unfortunately, what's happening is the way that we have raised our animals and there are studies out of Cambridge and Japan that show that in particular, chicken and beef, because of the crowding conditions, are now creating amyloids, which are these truncated protein structures, which can't be unpacked to make good other proteins for use by our body. And they're starting to build stuff in our body. And so when these animals have these amyloids, we eat them. And then guess what? We now are eating amyloids, indigestible proteins. And what do we do with proteins that can't be digested? We wear them. And that's why amyloids are plaques. We see amyloid plaques in the pancreas as type 1 diabetes, amyloid plaques in the brain. And so it can either be systemic or it can be tissue specific. And the work of um, Stephanie Seneff, who is an MIT, I believe she's a biochemist. She is, she is really like blowing the whistle on why this has become such an epidemic. She has linked it, and I agree with her, and I've had the, the pleasure of having you know deep dialogue with her, to the Roundup, which is what they, it's one of the, one of the elements of, in the Roundup that creates a deleterious effect on our body that stops our ability to process proteins because the body thinks it's getting an amino acid. I'm getting really nerdy here, but it thinks it's making protein when it's not or, or making as, amino acids that help digest proteins when it's not and actually turns off the signaling mechanism to create the digestive enzymes we need to break down the protein and it stops the ability to process sulfur, which calcifies and also then leaks the gut. So we are protein malabsorbed and we gotta, we gotta wake up to this because it's creating a real problem as it relates actually to vaccines. Because when we vaccinate our kids and we're putting live viruses, which are proteins in the body and we're protein malabsorbed, we're gonna be in trouble. Okay, so you talked about vaccines being proteins we can't use. The body reacts to them, causes all kinds of problems. There's many problems with vaccines the way we're currently administering them. But I want to ask you this question. You you said that we have become a protein malabsorbed society. Wow. So what do you think this means that so many people, especially in several of our most recent fad diets, are overeating meat products with this with combined with this epidemic of gut issues? It's a real problem. It's a real problem. And that's why I developed my whole wild vegetarian protocol, because I discovered that if we lived like nature intended, eating the wild game, which were much lower in amyloid formation, much higher in the omega-3 fatty acids, much more easily digestible proteins, 
those things can be unpacked into the amino acids that we need, which will then be repacked to make the proteins that our bodies need to create all those things that I previously mentioned. And also, if we ate the low mycotoxin foods, mycotoxins are their metabolites of fungi found in corn and in soy and in peanuts, of course, um, which then leak the gut further, then we're not we're not stressing a body already stressed. And then sulfur, of course, being a real big deal right now. Again, that's another reason I think we're become sulfur malabsorbed is because of the glyphosate that's stopping our body's ability to convert sulfur to sulfate needed for hormones and endocrine system and mental health and so many more things, ligaments and tendons in our collagen matrix. So it's very, very important that we revisit what our protein is doing to us because of the amyloids. And again, with the studies that we've created or we've uncovered, beef and chicken in particular. And so what I do know, Robin, is when we put my my clients, and I see very complex cases from uh, multiple sclerosis to end-stage cancer to type 1 diabetes to infertility to ankylospondylosis, you name it, uh, uh, some conditions I can barely pronounce, they get better and they stay better. Well, it seems it seems so oversimplified when people say, you know, the answer to anything is the answer to everything. But don't you feel like the root causes are going there's like 80 spokes out from that hub of that wheel that, you know, these root causes of, you know, that you've mentioned several are causing so many, it's like there's an explosion of different names for, for diagnoses and people hang on these diagnoses as if their symptom is the problem when really you've, you've touched on a lot of the issues. You mentioned glyphosate and in case anybody doesn't know what glyphosate is, my friends, that is Roundup. That is Roundup that we now spray have, we have now sprayed half a billion tons of it on the world's plants in our groundwater. It's in our air. So let's, let's really geek out now. This is what I'm just giddy to hear about from you is that you've developed this wildatarian lifestyle. And this has everything to do with vibrational resonance or increasing your frequency. You are, you are on to it when it comes to what this has to do with the vibration of the organism. So talk about your wildatarian lifestyle. So the wildatarian lifestyle is living as nature intended. And we are by, we are that vibrational mathematical sequencing of the golden mean our brain is that mathematical sequence, which is Fibonacci. Uh, if you look at our geometric pattern, pattern from our wrist to our arm, our face is all vibration. So we are literally sacred geometry in a pattern. And when that pattern is interrupted by glyphosate or by um, a staph infection or by an emotional trauma, which carries a vibrational frequency or a physical trauma that interrupts the pattern. Our pattern is broken and we get out of balance. So we, we are organized in a brilliant pattern of energies that you describe as the Fibonacci sequence, which goes all the way back to who? Fibonacci. Uh, I believe he was a 15th century scientist, or excuse me, mathematician that discovered that there is in nature 
there is a pattern that goes on into infinity. It's a, it's the two previous numbers create the next number. So one, three, five, eight, 13, 21, and so forth. And what the studies show out of, there's a study out of, out of Germany that shows that the microtubules in our brain, which are considered like mini quantum computers, are the Fibonacci sequencing. We've just discovered, my scientists just discovered that inside the mitochondria within the water, it's Fibonacci. Our neurotransmitters are Fibonacci. And that pattern, I believe, and I've seen becomes interrupted through those previous um, um, interrupters, as you, as if you will, uh, of trauma to that pattern. And when the pattern breaks, what I believe, Robin, I haven't been able to prove this scientifically, but one day I hope I can, the body is naturally brilliantly intelligent and it's looking to find a solution to the next sequence in the pattern. When it can't, it starts looping because it doesn't have that feedback mechanism to say, oh, okay, I know that the next number will be, at, you know, whatever. And so it, it becomes an equation that is unsolvable. And that's when the body starts becoming what I believe autoimmune. It becomes hypervigilant trying to seek an answer that is no longer answerable because the pattern has been interrupted. You know, if I've ever heard anything that, that suggests that we are divine, that we are a miracle, that we are both complex and simple, majestic, phenomenal. You, you just described it. Do you have that same sense of the human body and spirit and the way it all works together? I do. I mean, we are a divine, brilliant machine that happens to vibrate a molecular rate of speed that creates mass. And therefore we are in human form. But when we are at our original divine pattern, our blueprint, it's phi, it's Fibonacci. And when we are in Fibonacci, guess what where our DNA, DNA helix is? Fibonacci. And when our DNA helix is working appropriately, we cannot be ill. Ooh, exciting. So the Fibonacci sequence is everywhere in nature. It is everywhere in the human body. So how's that going to help us in our lives? So what I have found, again, doing some more of my um, kind of... Uh, non-double-blind uh, uh, studies, uh, but through just empirical evidence. I was at a, a transformational leadership class earlier this year, and they, they gave us uh, to watch a very interesting little film clip. And in the film clip, they showed electrons moving through a filter. And as these electrons moved through the filter, they were moving in lockstep. And then they had somebody observe the electrons. And as those electrons were observed, this, the pattern of the electrons shifted. They started moving in a dancing pattern. And so what I did is I bridged the, the theory that, well, my goodness, we have Fibonacci in nature, as in the nautilus shell or the sunflower seed or a rose petal or a tree leaf and so forth and so on. If we can shift patterning by observation outwardly, why can't we shift patterning by observation inwardly? And so by then uh, having my clients observe the Nautilus shell, which I have in my office, 
we are finding that it's recalibrating them energetically and that uh, staff, which they failed, they pass after being what I now called, I'm now coining it a verb, fibonacci After being fibonacci they now pass that because they're back into their original divine patterning. And this has potentially huge ramifications. Now, the, the, the devil, or I don't really like to use the word devil, but the trick is staying in that divine patterning. And so what happens is when we go back into our old life, we're going to go back into old patterns and those old patterns may not be serving our highest purpose. And so the goal is to establish new and beautiful divine patterns in everything that we do. And then when we do that, we will, I believe, re-encrypt cellular memory. And I believe, Robin, that this is what happened to my son, that by eliminating the foods by as he was growing and really helping him with the foods that were healing, his body would have a new cellular memory. And I thought about this many, many years ago, but now I'm really seeing it as a result of he's repatterned into his original pattern. And this boy can now eat whatever he wants and he's doing great. And so I really believe that this is possible. And I know this is a very broad statement, but it, I do believe it's possible because we are all energy and vibration. It's so interesting. I had a, one of my clients who happens to be a really good friend of mine came in as my last client last Friday, and he's a wonderful engineer, Duke graduate. And we started talking about vibration. He said, Terry, they are now in, in Germany discovering that every virus, every pathogen has its own specific vibration, just like everything on the planet. And that vibration is out of alignment with us. And when we're out of alignment with us, because our thought, our thoughts create a wave pattern, which create an outcome in our body, when we're being in the less than, and they've done studies, I believe out of University of Pennsylvania, say that when we are entertaining negative thought patterns, we were lower our immunity by up to 50% to up to five hours. So when we are in out of our divine element, out of our vibe, you know, this beautiful Einsteinian theory with your book, which I am so thrilled that you have written, that's when we get sick. So if we can be in alignment with our highest and best self, which is our divine original patterning, I don't believe we can intersect with the vibration of that which is less than, which are the pathogens or the glyphosates or the mutant gluten, as I call it in America. Or the cutting ourselves for cosmetic <laughs> surgeries, the scarring, yes. the, the, the replay loops that we're on with our negative emotions that we don't resolve so many things, right? Yes, absolutely. Well, I'm completely inspired about how finding ways to connect again to our natural patterns and our, you know, energies that we were really born with is just so important. Let's take this from the scientific and philosophical down to really practical. Tell us about some of the the details of what you help people, you know, get back to their natural biorhythms with the wild Terrian lifestyle. What what does that what does that look like in daily life? In daily life, it's very, very doable. And we can say, we say we, you can be wild any place, any space, and at any age. And so it's really in living into a mindset of abundance, because when people are asked to eat a different way, most often than not, they immediately start thinking about a deprivation approach. And what we say is this is not deprivation, this is substitution. And you're going to have foods that are so 
yummy to your palate and are going to be more broad on your on your kitchen table than you've ever known before. The average American, I think, consumes the same 10 meals over and over and over again. And we teach them how to eat differently, how to eat wild games such as venison and wild boar and um, New Zealand lamb and wild caught fish. And if you want to be a wild, uh, if you want to be a plant-based wilditarian, then, you know, we teach them to eat with the legumes that are low mycotoxin that are not going to elicit that fire starter of the strep and candida and the nuts and seeds similar. And then the wilditarian grains that are not only gluten-free, but are low mycotoxin because we now know corn is replaced wheat as a grain of choice for those that are gluten-free. But guess what? More than 80% of corn is genetically modified and corn is a mycotoxin meaning or has mycotoxins, meaning that it has the metabolites of fungi, which are again, a fire starter. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and that corn too, the vast majority of it is genetically modified and we don't fully know yet what the effect is on the human organism, but we see lots of signs that it is, it is unnatural and the body reacts to it. And a lot of the other, you know, replacement grain of choice is rice. And if it's not organic, it is generally grown downwind of Fukushima out of China. And then we're dealing with heavy metals. So just because it's gluten free doesn't mean it's healthy, right? Exactly. And so these wildatarian grains are those grains that don't, again, strike a match to our DNA, to our Fibonacci patterning. And we're all bio-individual. And so the way that the wildatarian approach is geared is that you will take a quiz and it'll tell you which type of wildatarian you are. And I've developed four major archaeotypes. We have the basic low amyloid wildatarian. We have a low sulfur wildatarian. We have a low fat wildatarian and we have a low sulfur, low fat wildatarian. And the reason why fat has become an issue of late as well is that because of our stress response, we now know that epinephrine, which is a neurohormone, which is a fat, when we over-secrete epinephrine, it leaks our gut and we become fat malabsorbed. And not only does epinephrine leak our gut and we become fat malabsorbed, but again, we have found the scientific literature that shows that this little sucker, our stress hormone, literally turns on the pathogenicity of any other bacteria or virus that we may have otherwise hanging out happily in our system, which I call the UN. Because we're gonna be living commensally with these viruses and bacteria. Our gut is made up of trillions of these little suckers. And as long as everybody's playing nice and it's the UN, nobody's going to start a war. But when we are overstressed, it's our fire starter. And therefore, we become fat malabsorbed. Therefore, we can't process fats anymore. And our stress has literally turned on the lights to all these uh, pathogens. And the literature shows that the most common denominator of a reactivation of a virus is stress. Mm. So where can we learn more about your four types? Well, we are going to, I'm launching a new website. And as you take the quiz on my website, based on the way you answer the quiz, you're going to figure out which wildatarian you are. And then the book that is coming out in the first quarter of 2018 really speaks to this whole philosophy. And then we're, we're going to have a, a corollary program that takes you through a rebalancing phase and then a maintenance phase of becoming your best wild self. Okay. So you're, you're getting, getting ready to launch it. And so if we air this episode before your quiz to identify which of the four wildatarian types you are in case, in case we air this before then, 
they better follow you. So where can where can we find Terry Cochran? Well, you can find me on the web at uh, terrycochran.com. I also have Terry Cochran Beyond Nutrition uh, in my Facebook, uh, my professional Facebook page. I'm also on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, we're getting ready to go on Tumblr. So I'm pretty much anywhere on social media. And we love sharing our nerd done with you all because we feel that information is empowering and it is freeing. All right. So it's Terry, T-E-R-I. And Cochrane is spelled C-O-C-H-R-A-N-E. So any quick words of wisdom, actionables to live a higher vibration life? It's one of my favorite questions is a few quick actionables for anybody at home. Doesn't have to have any expensive equipment. What can we do to live in the higher vibes? I think that the best thing you can do is know that the thought creates the thing. And if we're living out thoughts of gratitude and, and joy and compassion, we will live a higher vibrational resonance, which makes the thing go away. So we're only as good as our limiting beliefs. And so we, I urge all of my clients, they tell me I give them hope. And what I just share with them is I'm just giving you a remembering of what your body's innate divine patterning has always been. I just pinged you in a way that made you remember. And so be grateful for that because we all have the possibility to live that out. And my, one of my hashtags is nothing is impossible. And I, I, I really state this because we've taken people that were told you will never be X, my son included, and they defied that. So the thought, be, the thought creates the thing. So think great thoughts and your thing will be beautiful. And the thing goes away. She's referring to the symptom, the thing that's frustrating you, the thing that has you stuck, but also as you resolve these things, you're also literally resonating at a higher frequency and you're attracting more opportunity. You're attracting better people. You're attracting health and better outcomes. I think that Terry Cochran is a total inspiration. Thank you, my dear, for being with us. Such a great pleasure. Thank you. 